0: Welcome to the Open House Podcast, conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. You know, it's worth asking about the legacy that the First World War left us and the received narrative that we all grow up with as Australians about our character being forged on the beaches of Gallipoli, certainly a a story of great sacrifice. Is that when the Australian nation was born. And is World War I really about the great heroism of Australians? Yes, that's certainly part of the story. But is it more than that? My next guest will challenge some of our assumptions about World War I, starting with why we joined it in the first place. Historian Douglas Newton argues in his book, Hell Bent that it was politicians facing off to try to race us into war that caused Australia to actually jump the gun and effectively declare war on Germany, even though, as part of the British Empire, it wasn't our business to do so. Douglas Newton, welcome to Open House. Thank you. So let's drill down a little bit on this moment where Britain is deciding whether it goes into the war. And as you've written about so wonderfully, Australia was, well, one Australian, it seems, was really keen on us getting involved at the very first moment, Opportunity. (laughs)
1: Yes indeed, Uh, I mean, it is absolutely true to say that we jumped the gun Uh, Australia of course had no uh, chance of exempting itself from this war Neutrality was not uh, possible at all, we had no constitutional power Uh, As a matter of international law we were going to be caught up in a war as soon as Britain declared it But nonetheless we didn't wait for that moment Uh, We moved our ships before Britain asked for it Uh, We moved them to war stations then before Britain asked for it And uh, the uh, colonial secretary at the time was amazed at this. Uh, He was actually sitting on cables uh, to send the request to us, and then received cables from the uh, Governor-General saying, no, nope, the, the Australians have already moved their ships, they're ready for war. But most tellingly of all, yes. Uh, on Monday the 3rd of August in Melbourne, an emergency session of the Cabinet, just four members of a Cabinet, normally composed of ten, decided to authorise a cable to Britain. It offered an expeditionary force of 20,000 men for any objective to any part of the globe under British command in any formation London desired with Australia to pick up the entire cost and this cable was then given to the world's press
0: (laughs) oh seriously
1: oh yes this was publicised and used indeed uh, by the London press on the morning of Tuesday the 4th when the issue was still in the balance uh, to uh, flaunt the bravery of those men Uh, over there in the dominions who are ready and willing to fight and therefore why is our government shilly-shallying? So Britain didn't decide on war until uh, (laughs) deep in the evening of the Tuesday. Uh, We'd sent off a cable on the Monday, that is Monday evening, the 3rd Mm. of August, and remember, of course, that we're uh, 10 hours ahead of Britain. That's right. So some 40 hours before Britain decided on war at all, we indicated we were willing to send 20,000 men for any objective
0: whatsoever. (laughs) Well, as you pointed out, we we wouldn't have had a choice in a sense, but did... would it be not necessarily inaccurate to say Australia mm. declared war before Britain did? Well, we, we yeah, were there first? Yes,
1: except using the words carefully, we had no right to declare war well, on anyone right. until 1942. This is again what's well, not often understood.
0: That could I think have gone awfully wrong
1: it certainly could have we had uh, look not until the statute of Westminster was adopted in 1942 and this of course is after the fall of Singapore and mm. Bert Everett puts the bill up to adopt the statute of Westminster uh, we'd said in 1931 thank you very much for the offer to be a real nation in our own right and have our own foreign affairs and our own defence policy but no thank you we waited until 1942 so of course we, we didn't declare war on anyone in 1942 we, we learned Sorry, in 1914. We learned that we were at war on Wednesday, the 5th of August, when a cable arrived at the Governor General's office informing Australia that she was at war. But hmm. we did jump the gun. I think that's the important thing. And All right, well, let's, Stephen, that's,
0: that's um, remarkable in itself. Why is that? Is that because we were so keen to prove we were a contributing part of the British Empire?
1: It, it, uh, essentially, Yes, in terms of an emo- at an emotional level, mm. but there are political factors at work too. we It's often overlooked that, of course, Australia was in the middle of a federal election. <laughs> that is, uh, elections were due within a month, that is, in the first week of September. Mm. So we, we had what we would now describe as a caretaker government in office, uh, that is, Joseph Cook's government, so the Commonwealth Liberal Party, as it was called then. Mm. Uh, they'd been in office only a year. Uh, wow. A hung parliament, I'm sure, all this rings bells for people. <laughs>
0: Could you imagine today anybody (laughs) in a caretaker mode leaping to take Australia to war? Yes,
1: precisely.
0: But Joseph Cook
1: had boasted of this at various meetings. I think we have to understand in a way that both party leaders uh, had, uh, I guess they were competing in a kind of love of empire auction. And uh, Andrew Fisher, the Labor leader, uh, had said down there in a small Victorian town on the Friday night, Friday the 31st of July, uh, we will send to the, the last man and the last shilling. Now, uh, in the weekend that followed, uh, Joseph Cook decided, well, uh, I think I can get uh, rather more precise political points on the scoreboard. I won't uh, match this vague promise of last man, last shilling. I'll get 20,000 points on the electoral scoreboard. I will send a cable offering 20,000 men. See how devoted to empire I am. <laughs> now... So murky political motives are involved here too. Uh, well, they usually are, but Australia. you would think
0: that these days the murky political motives might run a different way in this country, <laughs> although in, in the United States they wouldn't. And that's oh, well, interesting that, to reflect on, right. isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. Look, it, it was one of our darkest moments in mm. the sense that our leaders were so reckless. Uh, Now, it's true that emotionally the Australians were always going to make a contribution, but the idea that we would jump into the pool up to our necks and then then keep immersing ourselves, hundreds of thousands of men, Uh, this, of course, was a disaster. Uh, And bear in mind, in a sense, the generous instincts of the men who did enlist at first, those first 20,000, they were all assured they were going to Britain They were all assured they would be training in Aldershot, and then the British Army Council had promised them, quote, a place in the line, a place of honour, and we're waiting for you. They left Albany, first week of November. The war opened up tragically, a vast escalation of the war. Within a few days of their departure, a war in the Middle East. Russia declares war on Turkey, Britain and France loyally follow, only a couple of days later, and a few days out of Alexandria, the men are told, they're not going to England, they're not going to save Belgians, they're not going to save the French, they're going to stop in Egypt. Now, of course, Britain had just announced that she would annex Cyprus immediately and announced that Egypt a bone of contention between Britain and France, yeah. was to become a British protectorate, that is, we snaffled up, we made the first annexations, indeed, in the First World War, if you like, the British Empire, <laughs> and therefore, of course, the Egyptian nationalists were expected to bite back. Yep. The Australians were there to keep the peace and, of course, to make safe the Suez Canal and... Yes. <sighs> It's these sort of wider aspects of the war. And so I think, it rolls gets on, lost doesn't it? From view, oh, well, it's escalating wildly. Yes. And as war aims escalate, of course, the war is protracted. And um, I guess one of my big themes in what I'm writing about is this unnecessary prolongation of the war. Uh, and it, look, it, people write books about Gallipoli, write books about the war in the Middle, and they actually ignore the diplomatic front. It's absolutely crucial.
0: Well, that is interesting. Our guest on Open House is Douglas Newton. And Dr Newton is a retired uh, professor of history from Western Sydney University and the author of um, a couple of really important books about this subject of the First War and Australia's involvement in it, Britain's involvement, what was playing out at the time and so on. Are you familiar with the song Australia Will Be There? Yes, I am. This this is fascinating. In the light of what you've just been talking about, here are the lyrics. I'll just read the first stanza. So this is a song that's written by um, a man who came here from nineteen th- at 1913 from U- the UK due to ill health, and he's in Australia, and this became a bit of a battle cry, as I understand it, um, on the Western Front. There are lots and lots of arguments going on today as to whether dear old England should be brought into the fray. That's exactly what you're saying. But all right-thinking people know well we had to fight for the Kaiser's funny business. It wants some putting right. Rally round the banner of your country. Take the field with brothers o'er the foam. On land or sea, wherever you be, keep your eye on Germany. But England, home and beauty have no cause to fear. Should old acquaintance be forgot? No, 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 no. Australia will be there. Australia will be there. Wow.
1: Look, it's, it's stirring stuff, uh, Stephen. I'm glad you quoted I mean, look, Australians overwhelmingly considered themselves transplanted Britons. Yes. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that we could have remained behind, not made a contribution to the war. But the did our government cautiously garner resources, husband them, make sure our men's lives were not expended on imperial adventures, that the original instincts of the Anzacs to fight for the defense of a small country, that those instincts were honored? I don't think so. Look, I know you know a good deal about music, and I'm aware about the Hornsby Band. No. Um, and look, I think we learn a lot from the music. Can, can I quote some lines to you? Oh, please. Uh, when I was chasing up uh, a particular soldier I'm writing about at the moment, a mean called Ted Ryan, a very rebellious soldier, mm-hmm. when he was at Blackboy Hill Camp near Perth, the soldiers sang the song, Australia's Call to Arms. Mm-hmm. And according to the press reports, they were very eagerly singing these lines. And when in later years our history appears, let Australia's future sons be proud to say that their fathers, like our own, fought for rectitude alone mm-hmm. to protect the weaker nations against the strong. Now, let us think about Gallipoli for a moment. There would have been no campaign in Gallipoli without the Straits and Persia Agreement being signed in March 1915, that is just a month before the lads were sent there. According to that agreement, the essential spoils of the campaign, the city of Constantinople and the Straits, were to be given to Russia. The British Foreign Secretary made it quite clear. He told the ambassador in St. Petersburg, tell the Russians we are offering them the greatest prize of the war. Mm. Now, Britain, of course, sought some recompense. Britain wanted to extend her uh, sphere of influence in Persia, previously divided between Britain and Russia, uh, by half. That is, Britain was to get two-thirds of Persia, not one-third. An area 25 times the size of Belgium. Now, these agreements were secret. Nobody at Gallipoli knew about the Straits and Persia agreement. No one in Australia who lost a son there could read about this in the press, that our troops were there essentially to win a prize of war for Russia so shining that Russia would continue to fight on the Eastern Front in spite of all the reverses she had suffered there. Now, you know, the Australians fought there in the dark, and our government did so little to make sure that they made a contribution to diplomacy at the highest level, yes. that, that we were able to keep control over yes. the escalation of war aims. I mean, we can go on. It's scarcely realised in Australia that the day after... The Anzacs landed, I don't need to tell you that, that is 26 April 1915. A second big treaty was signed, the so-called Secret Treaty of London. This was to bring Italy into the war. The big trump card that the negotiators used in London to get Italy previously neutral, of course, to come into the war. They said, look, we have just landed in Gallipoli. Constantinople will be seized within a fortnight. It'll be so easy. The whole Ottoman Empire is coming, crumbling down, and look, we're promising you a share in the booty. Are you in or are you not? (laughs) And, of course, it worked. Italy entered the war. So for two reasons, Australians died at Gallipoli, to win a big prize for Russia and to lure Italy into the war. These things are never remembered. They're too inconvenient. Uh, Instead, we get down there into the trenches and insist... This is where our nation's character is forged. I think that becomes a little platitudinous once you know the realities behind the fighting.
0: Well, yes, at that very high level, absolutely. For Mm. the individuals Mm. involved um, who displayed great courage in in the most horrible adversity... Yes, a nation was forged by oh, their absolutely. character, not by their government at the time. And no, by the Stephen, way, what was Stephen,
1: f- I, I don't wish to sound disrespectful. No, no, so, I, my, t- my two friends. grandfathers fought in the first war yes, in uniform. Yes, yes. My, my father in the second war. My father-in-law in the second war. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, no shortage of respect for the troops in this family. But I think uh, it's a very simple distinction which we always have to keep in mind. We must respect the warrior. We need not respect the war.
0: That's a, that's a very good principle. And mm. what was the fruit of all of that? Well, amongst other things, you've mentioned easily. So the rise of fascism, um, oh. the, just the then the rise and all of these ideologies that come out of that war and led, of course, inexorably to the yeah. second war. But before we get that, and you, you, you mentioned um, being bogged down, yes, why did the war go so long?
1: In, in part because of the shall we say the politics of the knockout blow that is everywhere as the war proceeds uh, politicians are uh, uh, lifted into uh, office on the strength of promising more war more vigorous prosecution of it in order to win at all costs fighting to the bitter end to the knockout blow now that's the and, and part of the emotion of course once you get warm blood on your face people fight and fight on but in in my view the war was kept going, in fact, only with the greatest difficulty, uh, only by repressing all dissent, uh, imposing very, very rigorous censorship. Here, for example, Australians never learned of those two treaties that I mentioned. They were secret. Uh, even when they were exposed uh, in the last year of the war, they were censored out of our newspapers. Uh, so censorship is part of it. Repression is part of it. Uh, and, of, and, and, of course, this ongoing escalation of war aims. Um, the Sykes-Picot Agreement, I'm sure, is something you've, uh, you've heard of. That is in May 1916. Britain and France drew up an agreement. Uh, Russia is informed and Italy joined later, uh, offering to divide the whole of the Middle East, not uh, including bits of Asia Minor itself, that is con- uh, present-day Turkey. So territory stretching from Palestine all the way to Iraq. This was to be uh, shared out uh, between the British and the French, and we know what this means. Commercial opportunities, exploitation of natural resources, a vast accretion of empire, a scramble for the Ottoman Empire, as strong as the scramble for Africa before the war, which arguably helped to bring it about, the controversy between Britain and uh, France and Germany uh, for those African colonies. So the wider the war aims get, if you like, the the wider people open their mouths the longer the war goes on in order to realise these things and and in a way a bit of political fear I'm sure you can understand this Stephen Mm. when so much blood has been shed the authors of war are very reluctant to turn to their people and say you know what we've done the best we can we can't win victory I stand before you now unable to tell you it was all worthwhile. In a way you go on gambling like a gambler at the Star Casino. You've lost $3,000 in the first three hours. You go back to the ATM to borrow another 3000 in order to chase your losses.
0: Yeah, but it's not so, dollars. It's men men it, and women. It's
1: men's lives. Yes. I mean, the dimensions of it, Stephen, I, I mean, I think in a way we should start with this. We lost 62000 in the First World War. The estimate is $17.8 million uh, lost as a whole across the world Mm -hmm. in that war. We raised five divisions, more than 500 divisions. That's 20,000 men in each division. 500 contested for power across the face of Europe. Uh, And the battle, of course, stretched to China, the Pacific, uh, Africa, Asia. A protracted catastrophe. The worst time to be a European since the Black Death. The the worst time Mm -hmm. for in terms of military combat since the religious wars. I think the Australian people are being sold short if they're being told. The most important thing about the war is that when General Monash led our troops, we fought better than anyone else involved. This is kind of unworthy. It's almost narrow. It's a a kind of ultra-patriotic spin that I, I think in the face of this catastrophe, even our catastrophe... 62,000 men. I did some maths the other day. If you think they're each about 5 foot 9 and you laid them out end mm-hmm. to end the line would stretch from the GPO to Mount Victoria. This mm. this is how many men lost their lives. And uh, I mean, you remember Villas, of course, we had that, that opening ceremony earlier and mm. ah, I, I've been to that memorial yeah. and, and there are 10,730 names of it on it because it's a memorial to the missing um, there's another there's 6,000 Australian names on the memorial to the missing at the men gate and there's a, an, almost a thousand at Tyne Cot. so over 17,000 Australians among the missing, we know what that means, They're, these are men unidentifiable, blown to pieces, there were 46,000 who were killed on the western front yeah. and 17,000 of them couldn't be identified. I think we stand back saying, uh, not let let us fill our lungs with victory and our lads fought better than anyone and they captured more troops per man than any other, but rather we sit back and say, what kind of a civilization produced this? <laughs> and we, what yeah. can we learn from this? And I worry about the culture we are developing if it's more along the lines of, This Anzac experience is the very wellspring of our nation. If so, it's a wellspring poisoned by the blood of our own children. And I say that with some emotion, uh, because I, I, I think our culture should be, we look at every war as a failure of diplomacy, a failure of rationality over irrationality. It's something to be lamented always, not that we stress our military achievement above everybody else's. We're not so unique. We fought bravely, courage, gallantry, daring. sometimes that dash and daring is on the part of soldiers is a little bit like despair. They fight for each other in situations of absolute hardship. They fight for each other. I think uh, they need the assurance that uh, they have the backing of our people And for that, we need some
0: changes. We do. Let's hope and pray that we don't come to those decisions ever again. But you can't say that won't happen. And in fact, I mean, we're sending people to mortal danger every day, every week, because they're heading off to other uh, conflicts. And Australia always turns up. (laughs) We spoke about that song. Australia. Well, Australia will be there. We're always there.
1: Australia will be there. I I know that you have an interest in music. I'm sure you've probably played in the band I vow to my country. And uh, that that is one of those songs that worries me. I'm I'm sure you know the the lines, the love that asks no question, Mm. that is ready to lay the dearest and the best on the altar. Mm. And as they die, they are uh, uh, coming into heaven. Uh, because her, quote, shining bounds increase. Mm -hmm. I'm very wary of mixing blood and holy water. Uh, (laughs) I I think uh, I'm speaking to a a man who runs a a supremely important Christian radio, and you well know that the evidence is everywhere, but uh, the people who argue that Christ is nearer a pacifist than anything else, Mm -hmm. that he did say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Mm -hmm. uh, that it is very difficult to reconcile modern Mechanized killing, industrialized slaughter, uh, with uh, Christianity, with turn the other cheek, love your enemies. It
0: is. It's very hard, and you know we've we've been speaking with Tim Costello about that dilemma, amongst others. But um, right, you know, at the end of the day, you've there. There comes a time when what you're doing is trying to prevent or stop an ideology that will be even more terrible than the cost of.
1: I entirely agree. I'm not actually a pacifist. No. I think that there is a human instinct that is respectable to defend yourself and indeed to save others. Uh, I think I can say that uh, I passionately believe in a right to self-defense as a last resort. Yes. What history tells us is that all too frequently it is not used in self-defense and it is not a last resort. We have to have new uh, yes. a new... new changes, I would suggest that it is the Parliament that should underwrite overseas deployments yes. before they are made, not in their aftermath. And that, uh, sadly, our Parliament still uh, is out. There is no requirement at all. We remain one of the very few countries that doesn't have it. Uh, Our our war powers are almost the powers of the medieval sword. They're derived from the the old royal prerogative um, The Governor-General used to exercise, but now the government doesn't even do that. They just use an obscure section of the Defence Act of 1975, and they announce deployments. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, if if it's that the Cabinet decides and and the... and the Parliament debates, that's the old adage. I think it's a cop-out. There's a fatal <laughs> democratic deficit here. You know, we, we should... Most of these deployments are premeditated. They're emergencies. They're not to defend the Gulf of Carpentaria. They are supposedly defend essential national interests a long way away. Well, the, the Parliament, our supreme democratic body, should, uh, should decide that. An old line comes back to me, um, the old one... Uh, uh, how, how did it go? Uh, may the men who make the quarrels be the only men to fight. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was a popular song during the Crimean War. Well, you'd have plenty
0: of takers, but <laughs>
1: yeah, but but like you, I'm not a pacifist. I think it can be well. I mean, I, am,
0: I kind of am. You know, I, mean, yeah. I, want, I am. <laughs> I'm a well, Christian. I, 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 I love my fellow men and women. I love my enemies. Jesus entrust, so. entrusts that to me, look, and look, I try it, to live by that. But
1: uh, I admire you for that, but as you know, in each of our conflicts, it has been a minority of Christians who stood by that. Uh, you know, yes. I, I was in London yes. the other uh, not too long ago. I went to um, Apsley House. It's on Hyde Park Corner, and right. I was looking at the Australian War Memorial out there. I walked away from it. And at the other end of the, of the uh, square, there is a uh, machine gun corps monument. Right. And there's a biblical quotation underneath it. And it says, Saul hath slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. First book of Samuel, chapter 18, verse 7. Now, I assume the maker of the monument wanted this to be biblical support for the modern machine gun. That's
0: right.
1: I mean, that that kind of uh, ready mixing of Christianity, uh, Mm. I think it it can slide into it when we we, um, use the the theology of vicarious atonement and sacrifice (laughs) uh, to to point to soldiers' sacrifice. Uh, And this is why I oppose conscription. It is not right to ask a man to take the lives of others yeah. for a cause in which he has no conscientious faith That's a very and y- point. and you know what when when australia said no to two conscription referenda it was probably the most important thing that happened in australia during the great war on yeah. a world scale yeah. because no other people were asked the question Everyone else was bludgeoned by their government into the war and kept fighting by emergency power, censorship and lies and the rest of it. Children fighting, you know. Ah, And yet here in Australia we said no. Those centenaries passed without any money spent on them. There were no special exhibitions. Instead, the Australian people are coming away from this Anzac centenary with, I think, a capacity to memorise a string of battles but do they understand the immensity of this war? I fear not. Wow.
0: Well, that's been a, a rich and challenging conversation. It's been so nice catching up with you and hearing those perspectives. Douglas Newton, how can I say it? But just thank you for being with us on Open House.
1: Thank you so much, Stephen, for the opportunity.
0: Dr. Douglas Newton, formerly of Western Sydney University, now retired, but in his retirement writing a lot of books, and currently preparing a history of the campaign to end the First World War by negotiation. We must respect the warrior; we need not respect the war. Very wise words. You're on Open House around Australia. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity dot com dot au.